You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. From our prayer book, uh, Collect, which is uh, uh, the type of prayer we use at the beginning of our services on Sunday, uh, this one usually comes uh, in the middle of November, but it pertains to our topic at hand. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, before uh, <clears throat> we ask Craig to come up and talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, uh, Fontaine, do we have any housekeeping items for folks? Um, <clears throat> if you went to the 9 o'clock, you've heard Andrew talk about the visioning process that we've been going through. <clears throat> and there are book, there is kind of a three-book Three books, but they're, they're in poverty, of course, just take a little sample. Um, and so one for family, they requested just because we have a limited supply, one set for family. And next week, we are going to start uh, parish-wide prayer for six weeks. One of these, and I'm not looking at this yet, one of these is... Um, it's the thicker one. And yeah. um, so <coughs> parish, we're going to start next week praying um, each day for six weeks, which I think can be a really special thing. And then Andrew is also doing three classes um, related to the vision process starting today. And I'll be sure to send you all the link to each of his classes so that if you do want to listen to them, they'll be easily accessible. And then if you don't already have a directory, they're also up here as well. Great. Yeah, I'd suggest sticking with us here the next two weeks, uh, even though that's going on in the dean's class. You, everything's recorded, um, so uh, commend that to you to listen to still. You know, with the vision materials uh, coming out, great sort of timing for this class. Uh, the, those of you um, considering membership or have recently joined, um, to give it a, a clear understanding of uh, we've spent the last year and a half sort of trying to articulate what it is we believe in why, and it's kind of what are our priorities sort of flow out of that, and so that's what the vision materials um, articulate. And as you, you know, you're thinking about all that stuff during this season. If you use the devotional the next six weeks, or starting next week for six weeks, and are here in this class, just a few things I'd really like you to consider. And, and again, this is a good season for all this membership, of course. That's why a lot of you are here. Um, um, stewardship. We're about to enter a season of stewardship as well. Next Sunday kicks that off for two months. I'm sorry, <clears throat> um, Starbucks coffee is ruining my throat. Um, the stewardship season starts next week with Andrew's going to give a sermon sort of um, uh, uh, in that thrust, and we'll have people talking about it for a couple of months. So think prayerfully about that. And uh, small groups as well. Um, and Fontaine, as she said last week, is not only our newcomers coordinator, but small groups director. Um, if that's something that you'd like to get involved with, it's a great way to, uh, throughout the week, you know, Monday through Saturday, 
and it usually or there end up being folks you see on Sunday as well. But just to to have a place where you know that there's a constant source of fellowship and devotion with some other folks here in, in the church and small groups is a way that we really do accomplish that because we're such a large place. Um, to, to have an intimate relationship with some other folks in the church. So talk to Fontaine, think about all that stuff in the, in the next season, membership, stewardship, small groups, okay? Um, and today we have Craig who's going to talk to us about sufficiency of scripture. Craig's our uh, canon pastor and day school chaplain. Some of you who are at the day school know him from such places as chapel. Um, and uh, he's going to talk about sufficiency of scripture because remember, as I framed our discussion last week, that we kind of live on the cusp of modernity and post-modernity. We're late moderns. Depending on where we have our sort of um, cultural background, we sort of end up being in one place more than the other. But modernists would say that, you know, scripture alone is not enough. Um, that maybe it's okay, it's an okay source of authority, but we need other sort of rational, historical, or scientific sources that scripture can't stand on its own. Whereas the postmodernist would say, you know, whatever, there is no universal truth. You know, the Bible's true for you, that's great. Kumbaya, I've got my own thing, you know, that... Uh, you know, whatever works for you, just, you know, uh, just realize that I've got my own truth and I respect you for your having um, some faith in something. Do you see what I'm saying? And so the Christian faith says um, <clears throat> neither of those two stances are exactly correct, um, that uh, we have a totally different uh, stance when it comes to scripture entirely. And uh, I got the title from Articles of Religion, which is our denomination's sort of confession of faith. And the sixth one is called Of the Sufficiency of Holy Scriptures for Salvation. This is what it says, and then I'll hand it over to Craig to say more. Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that uh, whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man, that it should be believed as an article of faith, or be taught requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scriptures, we do understand those canonical books of the Old and New Testament, of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. Craig, do you want to say more? I'm going to hand you the mic. like some statistics here, Matt. Uh, Post-Christian yeah, rankings by city. That's from last week. Yeah, you can keep that. Nice. <laughs> so where does, where does Birmingham rate? We're the most seventh, the seventh most Christianized of the 100 urban areas in the United States. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? I know Matt pray, but I always like to pray before um, I speak, so... If you don't mind, and, and you know, really, even if you do, uh, I'm going to go ahead and um, offer, offer a prayer as, as we begin here. Um, Heavenly Father, I do give you thanks that you have uh, drawn us together. Um, uh, I give you thanks for each individual that you've drawn here this day and that you've also drawn us together as a community. Certainly pray that you would be in the midst of us now as we're gathered in your name. And uh, I do ultimately pray that in the words that I share, that uh, that not 
my words would go forth, but that your living word would go forth. And as um, the scriptures uh, have said, as your prophet Isaiah has noted, uh, that your word, uh, living and active as it is, would not return to you empty, but would accomplish its purposes. So I pray that your word would go forth now, uh, take root um, in our hearts and, and shape and fashion us in us the life available in you. And this I ask and offer now in the name of your Son, uh, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, it is funny, and Andrew kind of made a joke at the announcements today. We're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture this morning, and I, and I wonder if any children um, listening this morning will go home and, and quote to their parents uh, from Romans 14, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, uh, for God is welcomed. Uh, oh, no, 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 here it is. Uh, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Um, so I wonder if, you know, how many of your children will come? You know, Mom, uh, the weak person eats only vegetables. So uh, a friend of mine, one of his favorites from Scripture was, was Paul to Timothy. Uh, you know, drink not, only wi- drink not only water, but take a little wine for the stomach. Um, he was fond of quoting that one with, uh, with regularity and sometimes while drinking wine. Um, so... Uh, you know, as, as, my, as my launching scripture verse today, as we talk about uh, the sufficiency of scripture, is um, John 20, and it's actually the last verse of John 20, John 20, 30, uh, and John writes this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John writes, all right, so Jesus did all sorts of things that are not contained here, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And as I reflect with you this morning on the sufficiency of the scripture, um, we'll share a couple of stories, and, and some from others and some from myself, but, but I begin, I came across this uh, years ago. There's a guy, uh, Sandy Miller is his name, and he's... Uh, was an attorney, a barrister in London, and, and later went on to become a, a clergyman uh, and, and a bishop in the church as well. But um, Sandy Miller was, at the time, he was a young man, and it's kind of a little bit about what we're talking about. He, was, he sort of grew up in a, in a reasonably, uh, in England, in a, I was going to say, in a, I don't know, a reasonably Christian nation. I don't know if there is such a thing. But um, at least sort of culturally, historically, he had grown up... Uh, in a nation that had been um, Christian, had so, you know, kind of sort of grew up uh, in the church, uh, but yet didn't necessarily have a lot of interest in that or, or time for that. He wasn't necessarily um, hostile to it as much as he was indifferent to it. And, and Sandy, I guess like a lot of us, particularly as, as we're young, he was more interested in making a name for himself. Um, he, he wanted to be successful and he wanted to acquire things, uh, whether that be praise, whether that be money, whatever that might be. He was, you know, on his way as a, as a young man and was, uh, was a barrister, was an attorney. And he tells the story of he got on the tube there in London and as he's going on the tube, and, and y'all can relate to this, you know, when you're on public uh, transportation, you're kind of looking at everyone, but you're pretending not to look at everyone, um, and you're trying not to really make eye contact. You know, it's not like inquirer's class, you know, we're into eye contact. You know, you're on the plane, the train, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're not really making eye contact with, with other people. And so he's sitting on the train, 
and a guy sits down across from him, and he's Mr. Eye Contact. He's, this guy is staring at him, and of course, Sandy's first thought was, why me? Uh, it's a big train, there's a lot of cars, why me? This guy's um, sitting across from him, and it doesn't stop there. The guy's sitting there making some serious eye contact with him that Sandy's trying to avoid, and, and the guy says to him, did you know that Jesus is alive? And, and again, he's like, why, why, why me? Uh, and he said he kind of fumbled and stumbled and said, oh, well, um, you know, yes, uh, yes, yes, I do. And of course, his hope was that was going to be it. Um, but the guy continued to stare at him as the train goes along. And then he said, it got even better. He's, and y'all probably experienced this as well. You know, sometimes the train will just randomly stop um, in between stations. And he said, sure enough, the train stopped. Um, and he's just like, so he's, he's, maybe he's praying. Uh, maybe he's praying for the first time in a long time. And the guy continues to look at him. And the guy asked him a second question. He said, does it make any difference in your life? And he, he, he kind of stumbled again. And again, he felt all the, you know, again, everybody's not looking, but they're all, all the eyes are on him. And he felt this pressure. And he said, well, uh, you know, yes, uh, yes, I, does it make any difference in your life? Well, yes, yes, it does, is, is what he said. And he said that, thankfully, the train began to move again, pulls up to the next stop. He said, it wasn't my spot, but I got off. Um, he said, I got off. Uh, he said, I hustled up the stairs. It's kind of like claustrophobic, you know, to breathe again to, after this, after this encounter. And it was interesting because he said he was, he was troubled by that interaction. He said there were, there were two things that, that troubled him. He said the first thing that troubled him was when the guy asked me, uh, if I felt that Jesus was alive, why that I felt I needed to say yes? He said, I, I felt like the answer I was supposed to give was yes, but it didn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily an honest answer for me. It wasn't necessarily what I felt or believed, but I felt like this is the answer I'm supposed to give. Um, and he said, the second question bothered him just as much. You know, when, when he asked me, does it make any difference in your life? He said, why did I feel like I needed to say yes uh, in response to that question? And he, he went and he had received a Bible, as a boy said, and found it uh, in, in sort of you know, piles and stacks and dusted it off. It's one of those he had received uh, and never opened. And he said, I began to read the Gospels. And he said, as I began to read the Gospels, he said, I, I fell in love. Uh, he, said, he said, I fell in love with Jesus. Uh, as I began to read the Gospels, um, I, I fell in love with Jesus. And so as, as I reflect with you this morning on the sufficiency of Scripture, and, and, and I was going to read from the article, and I appreciate, Matt, your sharing there um, from the article, the things that we, the things that we believe about the Scripture uh, in, our, in our particular, um, I was going to say not just in our particular tradition, what we believe about the Scripture in the church. Uh, one of the things that I, that I hope to communicate to you, uh, something that I believe is essential, is that that we read um, the scriptures, uh, that we understand the sufficiency of the scriptures, we read it through the lens of Jesus Christ, um, that, that all of the scripture, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the entirety of the scripture um, finds, its, finds its meaning in uh, and, and points to and is read through the lens uh, of Jesus Christ. As John writes, you know, Jesus did many other things, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing um, you may have life in his name. One of the things that um, always was was curious to me and interesting to me, and, I, and a little bit about myself. I, I grew up, I grew up in the church, 
Um, but um, yeah, I wasn't for the longest time. I wasn't a believer, and I don't, you know, that's not um, uh, to condemn. That's just a just an honest assessment and and, and judgment. I, I was I was a guy. Um, yeah, this is, I might as well be honest. Um, I, I grew up in in the Episcopal Church, and I went to. Uh, Episcopal schools, and I was baptized, and I was confirmed, and and yet, you know, I certainly wouldn't describe myself um, for a long time as a, as a Christian um, or a believer. It was, again, it was kind of a cultural thing um, that we that we did, and I, you know, I had I had great folks, very imperfect parents, um, uh, but but yeah, wonderful folks that you know, I guess like a lot of folks, they're they were doing the best they could, uh, and they were trying to take us to church and help us be. Um, Moral, rational, um, you know, productive members of, of society, um, and but anyway, grew up in this tradition, and it just it it had no it had no resonance for me, uh, and in fact, to the point that in college, at one point, um, I played on the soccer team in college, and we were on, and actually um, started to I started to read the Bible my junior year of college, um, and we're on the uh, we're on the team bus, and we're traveling, and um, our assistant coach came down, and he was a very, you know, gung-ho, evangelical guy. Um, he's like, so what are you reading? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of quietly reading the Bible. Um, and he said, well, so what, what book are you reading? And I said, Job. Um, and, you know, so I mean, that's, you know, there's, so, as I say, I'm not proud, but this is honest. Um, so I was reading, you know, I was a junior in college, and I'm reading the book of Job. Uh, and, of course... Uh, he began to mock me, um, which was very effective evangelism. Uh, but thankfully, God was sufficient to overcome his mockery. Um, I'm like, wait, encourage me, um, Steve, you jerk. Um, so anyway, that's so you know there I was. Um, but but so in my life, we we grew as I grew up, we were part of what I call the corporate army, and we'd move about every three years um, to a new to a new city. And, and as you might imagine, um, you know, there's some great things about it. Now I hated it um, at the time. Just just absolutely um, uh, loathe that experience. Be there for a few years, and as soon as began to feel like I had some roots down, began to feel comfortable, you know, connected in a place, and we'd pull up, and I'd be the new kid in town uh, again and again. You know, the new kid in town in, in first grade, and starting junior high, and starting high school, um, you know, new kid in town. And so I... Um, I, I struggled with that. I, I, I wrestled with that. I, I felt, um, and I, you know, and I think it's the human condition. I, it's funny because part of it, I, I project and say part of the reason I was experiencing the things I was experiencing was because of the challenges of the way that I grew up. And I say lots of great things, lots of blessings, but those particular challenges, I, I project a lot of that. But really, I mean, a lot of what I was wrestling with is just basic human condition stuff. Uh, and part of what I was wrestling with and dealing with was a void in my life. I just felt, you know what, no matter all of the, and it's almost cliche, but it's, but it's true. You know, despite whatever accomplishments and whatever accolades and whatever praise uh, and whatever acceptance and all those things that, you know, particularly as a teenager, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, do we ever get beyond um, the, the challenge and the temptations of those, even as we're, even as we're adults? Is that ever fully Leave us, but despite the you know seeking of that and the acquisition of some of those things, I think you know if I just get if I could get that, then I'll be okay. You know if I could get you know this girl to like me, um, I'd be okay. Or if I can get in this you know group of guys, then I'll be okay. Or if I accomplish this on the soccer field, then I'll be 
um, okay or whatever it was, you know, pursuing all those sorts of things and feeling this um, void as a result. And, and I lived sort of at a time and a place as well. Um, it was a, it was a, um, it was, it was a, uh, it was a wild place in a wild time and we don't need to, you know, it's like a rock song. I don't need to go into all of that. But, um, one of the things, you know, some of my behavior at that particular time was very, I uh, was very self-destructive. And one of the things I didn't, uh, at the time, one of the great things in the midst of all of that is the, the blessing of uh, parents that I had that, uh, as I say, and, you know, wonderful, awesome, and I love them, but, but again, very imperfect. They didn't, they weren't doing it just right, uh, and yet I had parents that um, were were not willing um, to give up on me, uh, and so they we we battled um, against one another, and they and they sought after me, and they chased after me, and and as um, as obnoxious uh, as I was, there was never a final straw, and I gave them plenty of opportunities to say, you know what, knock yourself out, you know what, you 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 go for it, you know the old Jimi Hendrix. Let me live my life the way I want to because I'm the one who has to die when it's time for me to die. They never said, you know what, go for it. Live your life the way you want to. You make your decisions. They, they, never, um, they never ceased to um, pursue me. Um, and uh, they never ceased as well to sort of, they didn't, uh, they didn't say, well, it doesn't matter the things that I was doing that were hurtful and destructive in my relationship with other people and, and destructive to myself as well. And they, again, continued to pursue me with that love and that uh, grace. And I, and I share all that with you because it was through that experience uh, and through that relationship with them that that the things I'd actually sort of heard about in Sunday school, uh, the things that maybe I'd heard about in, in church, the things that I had um, heard about uh, as, as uh, brief and as cursory as my interaction with the scripture was that the things that I'd heard in the Bible, the things that I'd heard in the church, the things that I'd heard in Sunday school, those things began to become real um, to me. They, they, they began to sort of take on meaning. Uh, they, they took on flesh, kind of like, you know, kind of like a person. You know, we can talk about, we can talk about love and we can talk about grace and we can talk about mercy and forgiveness and steadfast love and self um, giving love and all those, you know, a love that pursues. We can talk about all those things, but y'all know as well as I do that those are all words until you have an experience of them. And when you have an experience of that in a relationship, I mean, that, that becomes real. Uh, and, and that becomes alive and it, and it, and it takes on a power that was always there, but you didn't know before uh, and you didn't see before and you didn't experience, um, before. And, and uh, incredibly grateful for my parents and other people in my lives that, that uh, as I say, those things that I'd heard about, a, a God who loves us in, in such a way that he actually um, pursues us uh, with his love and his grace and his mercy, a, a God who doesn't, um, when we wander off, say, you know what, forget about them. Um, you know, they want to go their own way, just, just let them be. I mean, the things that I'd heard about, the, the idea, like one of the things we hear about in the Old Testament is how the people of Israel were sojourners. Um, they, they were in some ways people without a home, and yet they had a home. Um, they had a place. Uh, they had an identity. They had a belonging um, because of their relationship with God, because of God's, uh, God's proactive um, activity in their lives, God seeking uh, them out, God calling them um, to be his, his people. I mean, those ideas like being a sojourner and yet having a security in a place that's beyond the place where you're living um, at that particular time, that, that, that took on a depth and a meaning from the scriptures that I hadn't seen before. And those various things which I describe 
um, began to take on uh, a meaning to me in such a way that that the scripture uh, began to come alive for me, and I actually uh, began to uh, began to read the Bible, uh, and it began to um, be be more than interesting, but it began uh, I began to see its its truth. Um, for my life, and I began to experience it as as life giving in my life as well, and and life giving when I liked it and when I didn't like it, uh, life giving when I when I found it clear uh, and when I found it less clear, uh, life giving when I found it comforting, uh, and life giving when I found it uh, challenging as well, uh, and and some of the reasons that. Um, it's nice to know I think the Bible's true. Um, it's kind of good to hear your, your, your clergy say that. And, you know, here's one of the great things, too. In, in, our, in our Reformed tradition, um, when we talk about the sufficiency of the Scripture um, for, for salvation, the sufficiency of the Scripture to know God, uh, the sufficiency of the Scripture to know the truth, one of the great things about that is it protects you from people like me. Um, because in our tradition, you can say, you know what? Um, you, you have the truth of the Scripture um, to, as, as a lens into a relationship with God and as a lens uh, through which we can see the world and, and the lens through which we can discern uh, you know, right and wrong, darkness uh, and light, truth uh, and error. We, we have that wonderful lens through which we can see and which we can understand. And I'll say a couple of things about um, the Scripture. One of the things, and when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, in some ways that can sound, at least to me, um, uh, it has the potential to sound um, dry and, and academic, perhaps, or if not academic, at least dry. Um, you know, does, does, you know, I mean, that just sounds like a great rallying cry, right? Um, and, but, you know, the wonderful thing about the sufficiency of Scripture, what we hear in that and what you and I are offered uh, is, is ultimately a relationship. Uh, so there, there's the importance in... Uh, knowledge. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans, you know, do not be um, conformed um, any longer, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And in Jesus's life and ministry, um, there there seems to be, if not a reticence um, toward miracles, at least a certain caution when it comes to miracles, because you know we can get caught up in the show of it. And, and as you know, you can you can enjoy a great show, but it doesn't have any impact beyond just that brief. Uh, encounter with it. It may not change your mind. It may not change um, your heart seeing something spectacular, or we explain it away. You know, it's too challenging to deal with, so I just kind of rationalize it, and I explain it away, and I tuck it away because it it upsets the way that I already have things ordered uh, in my mind and in my life. So Jesus places great emphasis uh, upon teaching, uh, upon our um, having this um, knowledge. And in fact, one of the um, uh, arguments for the the truth of the scriptures and the sufficiency of the scripture is um, the seriousness that Jesus um, showed towards scripture, the authority um, that he gave it, the way that he um, drew upon it uh, and and used it in his teaching and in his relationships. So I, I shared the importance of learning, the importance of of knowledge, uh, the importance of the transformation of our minds. But again, when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, I think in many ways what we're talking about is um, this wonderful invitation that we have from God to a relationship. Um, it, it, is, it is knowledge, but it's much more um, than knowledge as well. What we're invited into um, is a relationship. We're invited into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, the sufficiency of Scripture 
shows us the truth of God. It's the lens through which we can uh, look at our lives and our relationships. Um, but it ultimately is an invitation to a relationship uh, with Jesus. One of my, and this is kind of a melancholy um, scripture in some ways, but 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 I love it. Um, it's John 6. And um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's not necessarily one of the ones you think about when talking about the sufficiency of scripture. Um, but if you remember in, in John 6, uh, here's, uh, here's what's happening uh, in John 6. Uh, Jesus, uh, there's actually a whole lot happening uh, in John 6. Jesus starts off by feeding um, the 5,000 is one of the things, and, and the people want to come and make him king by force, but Jesus, uh, perceiving what they were about to do, uh, Jesus uh, withdrew, we're told, uh, by himself um, to a mountain where he prayed, and then we hear about Jesus walking on water, and then Jesus begins his teaching, and if you remember, Jesus says, you know, I am the bread of life, um, uh, I am the bread of life, and he says, unless, and then he goes on, um, and he says, unless you eat my flesh uh, and drink my blood, um, you have no part in me. Um, and, and in fairness to the people um, gathered around, um, I heard someone preaching on this one time, and they said, you know, one's, it's kind of okay. To, one's first reaction might be to say, gross. Um, you know, and Jesus says, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, um, you have no part in me. I think it's safe to say, like, okay, Jesus, we're with you, but this is, um, you're, you're going to have to unpack this um, a, a little bit. You're going to have to help us uh, a little bit. And we hear that as Jesus inviting people to see um, who he was, that in fact he was God who'd come into the midst of us. He was the one um, sufficient to salvation, the one who would ultimately come to deliver. But as, as Jesus is going on and, and he's teaching, we hear that, um, and this is uh, in 660, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who uh, those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, and this is the part that say in some ways, may seem a little melancholy at first, but this has always deeply resonated with me. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know uh, that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom um, shall we go? Uh, we have come to know that you are the Holy One. Uh, you are the Holy One of God. And... Uh, I think that's perhaps resonated with me on a number of levels. One was a one was a personal level, because as I mentioned to you, kind of that time and those voids in my life, and and looking for truth and looking for something sufficient uh, to ground uh, and to guide my life. I kind of read across the board. I read Zen Buddhism. I read all sorts of different stuff. I mean, I was very much searching for searching for something to fill uh, something to fill that void. 
Um, and, you know, it's one of those, you know, I tried to get in touch uh, with myself and, you know, discover myself. And, you know, the unfortunate thing was I found myself and uh, it was pretty underwhelming. Um, you know, I was kind of like, hmm, well, that was less than I'd hoped for. Um, uh, you know, all, the, all this sort of turning, um, turning inward, uh, you know, looking for answers within myself, looking for meaning uh, within myself, looking for strength within myself and even like as i say in reading and zen buddhism some of the different stuff and i and and let me tell you i'm i'm no i mean i was doing this at whatever 16 17 so i i'm no expert i don't have to tell you that but um one of the things that after thinking about it um really stood out to me was this you know so much of that was about um emptying oneself Uh, it was about uh, emptying oneself you know basically um becoming void uh but but here's the amazing news uh, from the scriptures and here's the amazing news about the revelation of god it, rather than our being emptied it's it's a it's a promise that we would be filled uh, i'm like i've already got the void i don't need to make more i don't need to make more void i need something to to, to fill that void for goodness sakes uh, i don't need to look within myself i've been looking within myself and i'm coming up with nothing um and and what i'm coming up with isn't isn't quite frankly um very sufficient uh, but the wonderful thing uh, about the message and this invitation to a relationship with Jesus, this ability um, not only to encounter the scripture, but to have the living word, the scripture encounter us um, through this relationship. It's a promise not that we would be um, empty, but we would actually be filled in a way um, which cannot be taken away from us. Uh, we would be filled in a way that, that abides. Uh, and in fact, if you all probably remember uh, or, or, or not, um, Philippians 4 uh, is one of the letters, one of the epistles that Paul writes, and, and it's one of the uh, epistles that Paul writes uh, from prison. And it's, it's full of joy, it's full of rejoicing, it's full of thanksgiving. Again, kind of what I was seeking, what I was experiencing in my life, this, this joy and this fullness and this contentment uh, and meaning and purpose and all those things that we you know, rightly look for um, in our lives, finding that in relationship with Jesus. If you remember, um, Paul wrote uh, at the end of that letter, um, uh, part, you know, a lot of folks remember, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is, the Lord is near. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will, will guard and will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But, but Paul also says in that, he says, you know what? He says, I know what it is to be in plenty, uh, and, I, and I know what it is to be in want. Uh, and of course, that's in many ways the story of our lives, isn't it? Um, you have times of plenty and you have times of want. You have those, and, and sometimes those feelings of plenty and want are independent of our circumstance. Um, you know, there, there, there it is. Sometimes you feel more full, more empty, what have you. But Paul says, I, I know what it is to be in plenty. I know what it is to be in want. I've, I've learned the secret of being content in any uh, in every situation, whether in plenty uh, and, or whether in want. And and. Paul came to know and to experience that through the sufficiency of the Scripture, through the message of the Scripture, but ultimately through the way that that draws us into an actual relationship with the living God um, who actually is alive, uh, who actually does um, have an impact on our lives. There's some other things I, I, uh, I sort of want to say and tend to say, but, but let me, and I can... You know, I always have big plans before um, before I get in front of people. But is there anything, any question or comment y'all have up to this point? And if not, that's fine. But um, and, and Matt, uh, invite your um, 
have commentary as well. A couple minutes if anybody has a question uh, or two. So did you have a moment or was it just like waves you know, I, 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 yeah, I, that's a, thank you. That I, I had, you know, I had moments as I, you know, as I look back, I would definitely say um, that that there were, and I, as I look back, I can say, you know, there were significant moments, and 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 I guess as part of those significant moments, there were significant relationships in my life that really had a big impact. But I can, I, I can remember at one point, really junior year of college. I'm going into at the, the Citadels where I went to school. It's in Charleston, South Carolina. And in the center of campus, there's Summerall Chapel. Um, and I uh, went in there and, and, and knelt down. And, you know, it's funny because, again, I mean, that was the same guy that was reading Job. Um, so I didn't have this, so, you know, clearly articulated faith necessarily. But I was just like, you know what, Lord, it's yours. Um, it's, you know, all this, all this is yours. I'm yours. I don't, I, you know, I don't know necessarily what that means, what that looks like, but just sort of, Again, from reading the Bible and actually, you know, having words of good news spoken to my life and actually finding that truth that I longed for. I mean, I did. I had that moment where I just went and knelt and just said, all right, that's, you know, again, I don't know necessarily what this means, but but I'm yours, Lord. Um, and I had no ideas about ordination. Um, uh, good grief. And even when I started having ideas, I thought, well, that's a little too extreme. Um, let's... Well, um... We're, we're out of time. The bells are ringing. Stay up here because I'm going to ask you to say a prayer or blessing for us. But um, just want to let you know, uh, next week, uh, Brandon Bennett, who's our young adult college minister who was here last week, will be speaking to us about uh, creation and fall of humanity. Um, the next two sections try to uh, explain in our limited time the, uh, the full narrative of Scripture from creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so... Brandon's going to talk to us next week about the creation and fall of humanity. And then uh, two weeks, Mark Jelenet will be in and we'll talk about redemption and restoration. So we've heard about scripture as a, a concept. And next week, we'll hear about the, the story of scripture in two fell swoops as much as we can. Uh, Craig, uh, you want to say a blessing for us? Yeah, early? I'd love to say a blessing. And before, I, you know, again, I always run out of time. There are things that I really intended to say that I didn't. One of the things I think points to the honesty and the truth of the Scripture and the sufficient of the Scripture as I encountered it is just its honesty. Um, the, if, if you were making up a story, um, you wouldn't have done it this way. You wouldn't have, the in that time and place, you wouldn't have had women be the first um, witnesses to the resurrection. You wouldn't have been so honest about your own failings. You wouldn't have a book filled basically with any heroes. Um, you know, when you look at your lives, I mean, it all... All the individuals involved point to the sufficiency of God and the grace of God to make it happen. It's not like these are all like, God, these are amazing people. I mean, if you really read it, you say, you know, a lot of these people are a mess. Um, so the, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was, I was talking about, yeah, all of them. I mean, the, the honesty with which um, it's reported, um, and quite frankly, the way um, that it uh, that it challenges us as well. It doesn't simply try to uh, please us. Uh, it's it's honesty in the way that it both encourages us but also in the way that it necessarily rebukes and challenges us as well, the breadth of its, the way that it speaks to you and me. So, let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, thank you that you've gathered us um, again. I, I do thank you that um, wherever we might be, the, the, the fact that we're here, I believe, speaks to your proactive um, Holy Spirit, your grace and your mercy at work in our lives. And I pray that you would um, 
that you would continue the good work which you've begun in the lives of the people gathered here uh, and that you would continue it and that you would ultimately wonderfully through Jesus your son bring it to completion. As we go forth now, um, go with us, uh, stay with us, lead uh, and guide us as a shepherd and draw us together again, we pray. In the name of your son, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, all. See you next week. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.